Dialogue, a journal of Mormon thought. Dialogue. Dialoguejournal.com. Dialogue. Dialogue journal. Dialogue. Dialogue. It's the 50th anniversary of Dialogue. Welcome. These special Dialogue podcasts were recorded at the Spirit of Dialogue conference at Utah Valley University on September 30th as part of the 50th anniversary celebration held that day. You can find more information about the conference and the celebration at Dialogue's website, www.dialoguejournal.com. And in the last session of a wonderfully successful 50th anniversary conference, Emeritus 70 Marlon Jensen sits down with board member Gregory Prince to candidly converse about dialogue and the future of faith. I don't need to give you an introduction about Marlon, and I don't deserve one, so that saves a lot of time. One of our intersections was about a decade ago where both of us were participants in a PBS documentary entitled The Mormons. I presume many of you saw that. It was a four-hour presentation that was a joint effort of the American Experience and Frontline. Near the end of the pre-screening of it, the producer, Helen Whitney, called me, and she said, I've interviewed about 800 members of your church in the course of doing this, she said, you have a good church. Your people need to own it. They're borrowing it. Sorry. That was... your, your members need to own it. They're borrowing their religion. And so I would like to really use that as one of our starting points in this discussion. How do you own your religion? And I agree with her completely. The more I've thought about it since she said that, the more I see that people take it on borrowed word from somebody else rather than owning it, and particularly in the last three or four years, as we have seen the power of the internet to disseminate data, we can see the effect on people who have borrowed and not owned. The other thing I'd like to put into the equation is both from Paul's epistle to Corinthians about gifts of the Spirit and a similar discourse in Doctrine and Covenants section 46 where it says to some is given to know and to some is given to believe on the words of others. Because I think that brackets the two ends of this spectrum of faith versus intellect. So, Marlon, maybe we could just start and have you comment on that concept of owning your religion and what does that mean and how do you get there? Or, or what are the various ways of getting there? Well, good afternoon. You've heard of people being out of their element. <laughs> You're looking at one. I agree to this because I love the people that I know that are affiliated with Dialogue, and uh, so I'm grateful to be here, and I'm especially grateful to be Greg's companion. And uh, he was kind enough to ask me before we began whether I should be Elder Jensen or Marlon. It's been actually kind of nice the last four years to return to my original name. <laughs> so I'm happy to be here on that basis, and especially with Greg. You know, it's interesting, uh, I'm sure it wasn't coincidental that uh, we were unable to come to your earlier sessions today because a dear friend of ours passed away in Ogden Valley where we live. 
and um, we went to the funeral and we're so glad that we did because it was such a, uh, I would call it a thin veil experience and reaffirmed for me personally my own conviction, which I do own, that uh, life is eternal and love is eternal and families are eternal. And so I am very happy to engage in a conversation about faith and intellect because I have been saddened, as I am sure most of you have in recent years, as many of our most devout Latter-day Saints have stumbled in their faith and begun to doubt and uh, to let those doubts become so overwhelming that many of them have gone into what I would call a spiritual freefall where they just lose all their moorings and are able some way to dismiss all of the spiritual impressions and experiences they may have had through the years and in some cases have given themselves over to a rather riotous life which just uh, sometimes is stunning by the distinction between what they once were or appeared to be and what they now are. So uh, I have to admit I'm not an intellectual. Uh, I've often joked that I'm not smart enough to go into intellectual apostasy. <laughs> you have to be really smart, I think, to do that. I'm uh, rather grateful, honestly, that I was born uh, with a simple faith. Faith is a gift. It is a spiritual gift, and I suppose if you're given it as one of your spiritual gifts, you're a very fortunate person. But if you weren't, I think there is a way to earn faith, to choose to believe. and. Um, In this life, we will always need to walk by faith, essentially. No matter how bright we are, no matter how much we can perceive with the intellect God has given us, there will always be a veil drawn on our life before this life, and largely a life or a veil drawn on our life after this life. And we're in this center act, living by faith. But our intellect does play a role in our faith and in our human behavior. In addition to the scripture that Greg referred to in the 46th section, I've always loved section 8. In the first verses or two, first verse or two there, it uh, speaks to what the Lord describes as the spirit of revelation. And that spirit is defined by him as he speaking to our heart and to our mind. So I think uh, all of us in acquiring conviction <coughs> regarding our religion can rely on the fact that some of that conviction can come through intellectual means, but some of it must come through our heart as well. For as Paul said, what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man that is in him? Even so knoweth no man the things of God, but the spirit of God. 
So when we talk about our personal epistemologies and how we've come to know, I think uh, there's a certain amount of head and there's a certain amount of heart. And we can reach a degree of conviction, I think, where we then stand on our own spiritual feet. So I'll start with that much, Greg. I hope that's responsive to your I great introduction. It's a great start. Uh, I think it was three years ago that the first essays were posted. Does that sound right? It was in the fall of 2013. Mm -hmm. And it was in September, so just a couple of months prior to that first posting, that I was in Logan. And prior to the event, there was a little banquet, and I sat next to Elder Snow, who succeeded Marlon as the church historian. And he said, we hope next week to have approval from the 12 for the first of those essays to be posted. And I said, congratulations. Now, how are you going to deploy them? And he said, yeah, tell me. Because he realized what the problem was, and I think it goes to the core of what we're talking about here. That even though you can't cleanly bifurcate the church, you can talk about two distinct clusters within the church. One that has been given the gift of faith and may not want to be bothered with the facts and seems to be doing quite well without having those facts. And the other that needs the facts and without them is in danger of bailing. And at that point, he wasn't sure how they were going to deploy those essays. Now what they wound up doing was, I think, a very reasonable compromise between those two groups, and that was to post them, but to bury them deeply enough in the website <laughs> that this group wouldn't stumble on them by accident. Because the same information that helps this group has the chance of blowing up this group. And, and that's an ongoing dilemma that we have in the church because we have people, I think, at all points along the spectrum from those who are willing to say, just tell me what to believe, I'm fine with it. And they can negotiate their entire lives quite successfully without going into the data versus this end, which is the mirror image of that. What do we do with that? Because in the past, in the pre-internet era, we weren't giving multiple options to church members. We gave it pretty much a one-size-fits-all. Was that an oversimplification? No. No, and whether it was by design or just the way it came out, I'm not sure. But I think this is a great day, actually, and these essays are part of the evidence for that. And I know how to deploy it was always the largest question we had. No one wanted to create a website where you could come and, and read the 35 most difficult issues about Mormonism. <laughs> so I was gone before they figured out how to do this, but I appreciate it, I think, the way that it has come out. And it's, it's sort of oozed out in a way that it hasn't created a sensation, and yet it's provided um, the best responses, I think, that the church has to give to many of these difficult issues. And I think it's a great sign that there's a recognition that even if you have the gift of faith, uh, you may have curiosity, um, you may have a desire to dig deeper, to know more. Um, I've, I've often thought that 
because we do need to live by faith here. The Book of Mormon, for instance, is never going to be proven by archaeology or history or DNA studies because the Book of Mormon will always need to remain in our faith, a matter of faith. Our conviction of that book will always need to be gained, I think, through the gift and power of the Holy Ghost, which is the way we can learn the truth of all things. But I think, Greg, that there will be, a, uh, as there is, a flowering of knowledge about Book of Mormon issues that will make it more conducive for us to believe, if we're open to that. It will never be provable, but it will make it easier for us to believe. And I think in the long run, choosing to believe uh, is by far the most important choice we ever make in this life. Right next to it, I think, is choosing the person we marry. But choosing to believe, choosing to make Mormonism our way of life, and in making that choice, I think we'll always be weighing the evidences for its truthfulness. That's how I think testimonies come about, is that we, we do weigh and look at, on the one hand and on the other, Tevya. But, at least in my own case, Greg, and I think the Church is trying to help with this in the form of these essays and its openness now to releasing almost all the historical information we have. If you've seen the latest Joseph Smith Papers volume on the Council of 50 Minutes, I mean, that was the last thing I thought the Church would ever release, just because it was, it was so unknown and shrouded in mystery. But to bring it out uh, properly contextualized and annotated, uh, it, it seems to be just a natural extension of the Papers project. So, uh, when we talk about dialogue in the future of faith, I guess I would say we're always going to have to have faith. But what the Church is doing, and what we can do for ourselves personally, whether it's by reading dialogue or otherwise, is to continue to evaluate the reasons to believe and not to believe in making our own personal choice that Mormonism does represent God's way for us to live our lives. St. Anselm gave the classic definition of theology, said it's faith seeking understanding and understanding seeking faith. And it's that constant interplay between the two. I don't know if you remember this, but it was in Sacramento, the Mormon History Association meeting, which I think was about eight years ago. And we were just having a casual conversation. You mentioned, if I'm remembering it correctly, that you would occasionally get calls as church historians from parents who would talk about their child who had gone on the internet and read something and that had created a crisis. Is that an accurate account of that? Yes, sadly uh, there was a period of time when those calls were all too frequent and I, in my attempts to help people on an individual basis, have sat with dozens, I suppose, uh, of, of children of people I've known or children of people I haven't known who called to see if I could talk to their child. And again, I don't, uh, in those settings, claim the ability or the knowledge to, to you know, respond to all of their inquiries the way maybe someone else could. But I think the best uh, 
role I can play in those situations, maybe the best role we can all play, is to try to indicate that we all have questions. We all are questing for truth. And it isn't a black and white faith that we belong to. And that uh, gaining knowledge spiritually uh, is different for all of us, and it's challenging for all of us. And we all have been flow spiritually. I remember helping one young man simply by saying to him, and this really comes from what I think is the finest essay ever written on faith, Alma's exposition in Alma 32, where he says, if you can do nothing more than desire to believe, let this desire work in you, which I translated for this young man simply by saying, just lean into the church. You know, soften your skepticism, lean into Mormonism, let it come to you as you marry, as you raise children, and, and see if, if this isn't the way you want to live your life and that God would want you to live it. But there are literally thousands, I think, of young people and young couples, much to my dismay. Even in our little secluded valley, I've met with three or four couples in recent years that are in their 30s or early 40s who have left the church over these troubles and issues. So it's, it's been, I think, personally a great loss to the church. And a lot of it is, it's an inevitable fallout of the power of the internet. That the internet has not only democratized the data, but it has created a two-way superhighway for information. One way gets the information to the individual. The other way links that individual to virtual communities all over the world. So it doesn't matter anymore where you would fall on however long a spectrum you want to draw. In the past, you may have been the only one in your stake or ward or whatever at that point. Now you can find a virtual community on the internet for any point along that line. That can be a plus, can also be a minus, and we've seen both of those things. No longer can we just say, have faith, because we've seen what the challenge is when faith is confronted by data. And often that's an inadvertent <coughs> confrontation, as in the case of these kids whose parents contacted you, but nonetheless, there it is, and it creates the crisis, and you have to respond. It seems to me that the church's response in the form of those essays really epitomizes what we're talking about of dialogue and the future of faith because that is the same process, if I'm reading it correctly, that not only did those essays attempt to answer the questions, but each one of them at the bottom acknowledged without attribution to individual names the work of outside scholars. I don't know that this had ever been done before at that level. Can you comment on that? No, I think it was a real breakthrough personally because um, when we <coughs> had the concept approved, <coughs> we were giving thought to how these essays would be written. Our recommendation from the history department was, was that we try to locate the best qualified person in the entire church to research and write a response to the issue and that they be paid for it. 
which is also a novel idea sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and it was approved. It was budgeted for, and uh, we did secure, I think, in most cases, the very best person to do that. But, you know, if, if I can just uh, interject for a minute, Greg, and not to, to detract or to divert from what we were talking about, but uh, a little uh, story I, I have enjoyed through the years involves an intellectual who died <coughs> and went to heaven, got to the pearly gates where St. Peter was. And when he got there, there were two directional signs. One sign said, heaven, this way. And the other sign said, lecture on heaven, this way. <laughs> this is one of the worries that I have, and it's interesting how my, uh, you know, my view of these things has changed through the years. Uh, there's a lot to be said, actually, for old age, even with uh, the things that atrophy. But one of the things that I'm enjoying most about old age is the, uh, the more urgent feeling I have, the more seriously I feel about the practice of my religion. For years, especially during the time that I served as church historian, I was involved you know, in, in researching and writing about and speaking about and debating about and defending Latter-day Saint history and doctrine. And, and I admire all of you that have done that and are doing it and have done it so, so well. But at this point in my life, uh, the most urgent need I feel is just to live my religion. To not be girding for the battle anymore, but to actually fight it in my own life and uh, within my own family. And so I'm, I, I'm hoping that in trying to counter the Internet's offerings, uh, we won't simply drown people, you know, in a counter-information and continue this debate and continue the, the long quest that people seem to be on, but that can somehow provide sufficient uh, foundation, sufficient security, a safe enough harbor that people will will be able to say to themselves, this, this really is the true religion. This is, represents the lifestyle that I would like to leave with my family. And yes, I do believe there is an afterlife and that we will be resurrected. And as the Savior said, there will be many mansions there. I love it because the Bible says, he said, if it were not so, I would have told you. And I believe that. I believe he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he would have told us if this isn't the way it is. So I guess that's the, the saddest thing to me is that at this age in my life I've kind of reached an angle of repose. Uh, and uh, and I, I wonder how to help other people reach that. It's true that to some it is given to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. To others it is given to believe on their words. And so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the words of others I've been able to believe on. I always hope that my words would help someone in some way. That our own convictions 
Greg is an unusual person to me, and it's one of the reasons I've loved having a relationship with him through these years, is because he is smart enough to go into intellectual apostasy. <laughs> <laughs> and he hasn't. <laughs>